verse 44, we're looking at the, the third part of our series called The Treasure in the Field. The treasure is in the field. We've been looking at in the parable. Now remember, a parable is a story that reveals either a hidden lesson or meaning or a spiritual lesson. And in our series, we've been looking at this parable and it says in Matthew 13, verse 44, it said, the kingdom of heaven is like. So he's trying to explain to us what the kingdom of heaven is like. There's so many dimensions to the kingdom that you can't explain the kingdom in one sentence or in one parable. It has many dimensions to it. Amen. How many of you have seen that or how many of you heard that when people have gone into the spirit and been taken into heaven and they see Jesus, so many different explanations of what Jesus looked like. A lot of similar ones. When people go to heaven and taken into heaven, there are a lot of explanations of what heaven is like. But they're only dimensions that God shows them. That's not what literally heaven is. Do you know that? That's just one dimension that they saw. Heaven is much more than what they saw. So heaven, it's a, heaven uh, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, so it's possible to find the treasure. He hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had bought. So all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like. So now he's giving you another explanation of what the kingdom is like. He said it's like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of a great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So there's something precious about the kingdom that causes a man to go and buy the field. Can you see that? There's something in this place, in this field, that causes the merchant or the man to go and buy the field to get the treasure. The treasure is worth working for. The treasure is worth purchasing. The treasure is worth the labor. Now, let's look at it like this. Let's look at the, the field in three dimensions. Let's look at it in three ways. The field can be a picture of the world. Okay, so if the, if the field is a picture of the world, okay, and it's symbolic of the world, then Jesus, by his own blood, shed on Calvary's cross, went and bought the field with his own blood. Because he knew the treasure that was in the world. Amen? He saw the treasure that was in the field, the world, and by his own blood, he died on the cross, he took the sins of the world on, his, on, his, on himself, and he said, Father, it's my work, you've given it to me, it's now finished. I now own the field. That's why God has the right to destroy the earth. No, no devil can destroy it. No scientist will destroy it. God gets the pleasure to destroy the world. Because he created it, he owns it. Now Jesus bought it by his own blood. He lets the devil run, roam around. It's not the devil's world. It's God's world. Amen? What can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. Why? Because Jesus Christ owns us. He's bought the field. He's bought me. So he bought the world. So for the sins of the world, Jesus Christ owns the field. Let's take dimension two. The dimension of the field, number two, the kingdom is the field. So now the world was the field, or the field is the world. The second one, the kingdom is the field. So now we've gone... More specific. 
And within the kingdom, there is treasure. What's the treasure? The church. The church is God's treasure. Who's he coming back for? Come on, church. I've just, there's the, there's the key there. Come on, church. It's coming back for the church. And who's the church? You. So God's coming, Jesus Christ will return for you. You're his treasure. So we saw the field is the world. We saw the kingdom is the field. Now the third dimension is you are the field. Okay? So the the field can have three meanings. The world, the kingdom, and now you. And within you is God-given treasure. Who lives within you? The Holy Spirit. Who lives within you? Jesus Christ. Come in, Ken. Sit down, man. Good to see you. Okay. Good on you. I like checks. Thanks, Ken. See, that's because you make connections next door. You'll come into our father's house one day, don't worry. So, dimensions in the field. You are a field and within you is God. God's treasure is in you. What does that mean? The Holy Spirit's in you, his gifting's in you, his seed's in you, his future's in you, his inheritance is in you. All that Christ obtained is in you. You're his treasure. Amen? This treasure is in earthen vessels. Okay? So we have seen that whenever you put the word and field, or should, whenever you put the, the land and the field together, you always get significant activity. God is always doing something in, with land and with a field. You understand that? So Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says that you are God's field. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's field. We're God's building. We're God's work. So now, so now we see that you are God's field. So we've gone from the world. We've gone from the kingdom. And we're seeing you. Now we're talking you. You are in the kingdom. You're in the world. But you're not of this world. Hello? Does this make sense? So we see the field. We see the world. We see the kingdom. We see you. You are in God's kingdom, and the kingdom is part of this world. Only part. But it's not of this world. It's of a higher dimension. Does that make sense? So you are God's field. But in 2 Corinthians, you have to go there, 4, 7, it says, Now we have this treasure, which is in now jars of clay. Why is it clay? Because clay comes from the ground. Meaning, you are now a vessel. For God to put his treasure inside you, in his kingdom, in this world. So the field, whichever way you look at it, is always a part of us. It surrounds us. It's in us. It's in front of us. Amen? How many of you believe that you have this treasure inside you? But it says this. This treasure showing us that this power and treasure is from God. That's why when someone says, I'm nothing, I'm no one, I'm a nobody, you've got to stop them straight away. You've got to say, how dare you demean what God has put inside you? You cannot keep seeing from your perspective. You have to keep seeing from what God's perspective is. God says, you you are his treasure. He bought the field. Why? Because he saw you in this field and he saw what's inside you. He saw his gifting, he saw his grace, he saw his glory inside you. 
You can't keep saying, I'm no one, I'm nothing, I'll never do this, I can never do that. You can. Why? Because of Christ that's in you. You must see, <coughs> excuse me, you must see from his perspective. Do you realize that the king of glory lives inside you? Wow. Why? Why me? Because he loved me. That's why nothing special about me in terms of Tony personally. But Christ, the same love he has for me is the same love he has for you. Why? Because he shows no favor. He has no favorites. So if Jesus Christ would die for me, he's telling me that I'm worth something. Thank God, for, thank God that I'm worth something. Now, principle one was the treasure that you have inside you must reveal someone and something. I don't want to be looking. Have you ever noticed how many people are full of themselves? When all you ever see is them. Even in church, you see a worship leader. All you see is how good they are. How good their voice is. Or you see musicians and skillful musicians, how well they can play. And basically, some churches, Sunday morning is just a platform for you to look at them. And then the preacher gets up in his Armani suit. And he preaches his nice, slick message. And all you see is how good he is. And he judges how good he is by how far he can spit. Or how much he can sweat and I has to run myself down. There's a lot of hype going on at the front, but there's no revealing of Christ. So you see a lot of gifts, see a lot of sweat, see a lot of activity, but you do not see the person who he's trying to represent. That's no good preaching if you can't reveal someone. Amen? You can't just keep going to work and all we see is you. We must see the one you represent. You can't say, you can't live like a dog through the week and say, oh, I go to church on Sunday. No, they must, you must take church to where you work. And I don't mean have a prayer meeting. I don't mean you get everyone on the knees and say, you know, let's just pray before we do our job. Your, your employer doesn't want that. Amen? And don't think, well, they're persecuting me. I'd persecute you if you did that in my company. I don't pay you to pray. I pay you to work. Amen? I don't have to have a spiritual conscience if I'm employing you. Let's just get that out of the way. So you say, Lord, they're persecuting me. God says, you dummy, just work. Go home. Let me speak for you. Represent me, not yourself all the time. And your own self-interest. That's why it's important what Joel said this morning. That I want to be a musician, but I know I need more than that. I want Christ to determine where I work, how I work. He wants Christ to, he wants to represent Christ. This is a young lad saying this. He wants to represent Christ. Young Daniel, 12 years of age. I've not made any major decisions in my life. I'm thinking, you're right, you're 12 years of age. He's not getting married yet. He's not chosen a bride yet. <laughs> but in his heart, he's already preparing for him making a decision, making a choice. He's made a choice. His choice is, I'm going to represent the one who loves me. And now he's trying to find out in a, in a, a young 12-year-old way, how do I do that? I think it's wonderful to hear the language that's coming from these young people. It's powerful. He's getting ready to make choices. And that's what church is about, is to empower them to make good choices. So that when he goes out into the world, he protects the Christ within him. You know, it's, you know, people don't always want the Christ that's in us. 
And we get persecuted for it. So the, principle, the first principle of this whole treasure in the field is that it must reveal someone. It must reveal something. So many Christians sit in church and we never see the God inside you. Christ can never get out. Can never show himself, never reveal himself. Why? Because you sit in church, you keep your mouth shut, you go outside, you keep your mouth shut, you never live and you think coming to church, you've lived for him. That's called coming to church. I go to work every day. That doesn't make me a Christian because I go to work any more than coming to church on a Sunday. See that? Some people come to church because it makes them feel good. Not because they love Jesus. It just, they got friends here. Then go and have a latte next door. Then go and have a panini next door. This is where the friends come. So they just do the friend thing. Oh, there's a lot of social Christianity going on in church. It's not wrong, but it can't be the only reason you come to church. Socializing is a benefit of church. It's not the reason for church. Amen? Principle number two is that the treasure inside of you must be proven authentically genuine. It must prove authentically genuine. How many heard of fool's gold? Many people left, went all, left one side of the States to go to, where was it, the Midwest? Somewhere around there. And they all went digging for gold because they thought that's the next revolution, that we can all get rich. And they all dug and they all found fool's gold. They dug and they dug and they dug. But the genuine and authentic, very few people had. True? Are you authentic? Are you authentic? Do, do you have, I should say, what, what you have inside, would you class it as being from God or would you class it from just being you being skillful and smart? A lot of us can do things because we've worked hard, we've studied. Nothing wrong with that. But I know I didn't study to do what I'm doing. I study to keep on doing what I'm doing, but I didn't study to get here. I was called, not by you, by him. Many people called me, but not in the same way. And I've had to learn to tap into a grace. I've had to learn that there's a treasure of grace inside my life. It's authentic and it's genuine. Why? Because I know I can't do this on my own. I know I can't do it on my own. That's why, for me, doing the school, it's not something I would naturally... I can, think, I can do this. I have my fears. I'm letting you know my fears. So when it comes to the conference, you know, I want you to be bright-eyed and say, yeah, we're with you. Why? Because it helps me. I don't care if it helps you. Just help me. It will help you. But you help me first. Then you can get the benefit of that. Amen? But I know the treasure inside me is genuine. I know it's authentic. Now, my job is to keep my treasure clean, polished, ready. Why? Because my treasure isn't about, it isn't me. I want to reveal Christ. I want our school to become a platform where people see the genuine. There's a thousand conferences, a thousand schools. We're not trying to be like everybody else. We're trying to be obedient with what God has given us. Amen? So the first principle is, it needs to be, you need to, your treasure needs to reveal someone and something. It needs to reveal Christ and it needs to reveal his kingdom. Someone and something. Then it needs to produce genuine, authentic 
treasure. Now the Bible says this in 1 Peter 1.7. And this is where I'm going now. It says that your treasure that's inside of you, it will produce praise, glory, and honor. This treasure inside you should result in three things coming out of your life. Praise, glory, and honor. The treasure is inside. You can't... That's why sometimes when you come into church and you ask people to praise, they struggle to praise. Why? Do you know why? Because they have the, the, the treasure that's inside them has been so far suppressed and hid that they don't know how to praise. Nothing they do produces glory. Why? Because they know they're living sinful lives. So the first thing you do when you walk into a spiritual atmosphere and you know you're not walking with Christ, you feel convicted inside. Do you not? Or is it just me? It's amazing when I want to pray and I'm feeling good, I can pray long. I can give God my best. And all of a sudden I do something I shouldn't have done. And then all of a sudden I'm a little bit hesitant whether I should go and pray. Because God, I know God's on my case and I don't want to give it up. So I think, well, if I don't pray today, I'll feel better tomorrow. I'll go in on the, on the Wednesday and pray when I feel good. Don't tell me you don't think like that because you do. But condemnation does not come from God. Condemnation comes from me and from the enemy. I condemn myself. God doesn't condemn you. John 3, 16, or should say 17 says he did not come to condemn the world. So we know condemnation is not from Christ. That's verse 17. Always remember verse 17. Not just John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. But remember, he did, came into all not to condemn the world. Condemnation does not come from Jesus Christ. It comes from the enemy and from within. So John 4, John chapter 4, verse 23 says, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worship the fathers seek. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship him in spirit and in truth. See, true worshippers know how to give him praise, glory and honour. If you're in the spirit and you know how to enter the spirit and your life is always revealing someone, going in the, your worship will never be a problem. Why? Because your worship will always reveal praise, glory and honour. This morning our collective worship gave three things. Praise, glory and honour. We kept, honestly, we kept saying, worthy is the lamb. Worthy, 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 worthy. That's praise. Then he shares his glory with us. We all feel ignited and, and feel a sense of awe when we're saying that. We all see that he is worthy. Amen. That's his glory. And then we all, it, lives, it leaves us with a sense of honor in our hearts for him. We want to go further. Do we have to stop? Can we go further? That's how, that's how worship, true worshippers should worship the Father. It should produce worship. It should produce praise, glory, and honor. Your life, that's the treasure inside us. Daniel chapter 4, verse 36. Let's listen to what he says here. I'm picking up on the word honor. Because I know you don't have a problem with praise. And I know we don't have a problem with glory, but we do have a problem in our society with honor. So I'm, I'm deliberately just going to pick up on honor because that honor is a very, very serious, serious issue indeed. Daniel chapter 4, verse 36, and at the same time that, they, that my sanity was restored, he's talking about the king. The king had lost his sanity. 
And now God's restoring. Listen to what he says. At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and my splendor were returned to me. So God took away his honor because he had no honor for God. God took the king's honor away from him because he was so impressed with his own kingdom and his own power that God says, okay, I'll show this boy, I'll humble him to show him where honor starts. And God let him walk around in the field like a beast of the field and the dew of the ground and his nails grew and he looked like an animal. I think it was for seven years he wandered in the field eating grass. Can you imagine that? And then all of a sudden, in one moment, sanity was given to him. And he, and he, straight away, he comes back to the palace. They groom him, cut his nails, wash his hair, cut his hair, give him some food. And his sanity comes back. And he says, my honor was given back. In other words, not honor for himself. Honor was given. The understanding of honor was given to him so he could honor what he didn't honor. Do you understand that? So now he realizes that his honor is only because of the one above him. God's give him honor. So now he, with that honor, he can now give it back to God. Because inside us is the capacity to honor. But when you lose your sanity, you see yourself. And then what you, make, what you do then is you make people, you become the judge and jury. And you say, well, honor has to be earned. No, no, it doesn't. It does not have to be earned. Respect has to be earned. Trust has to be earned. But honor is for the office. If a police constable stands in front of you, he didn't do anything to come and earn your trust or respect, but you must have honor for his office. Why? Because he carries, he, he carries the weight of the government behind him. He's been commissioned as a law enforcement agency by the government to become a peacekeeper. True? When a soldier comes into your territory, you better honor the badge. You better honor him. Why? Because if you don't, he just might take you out. Your teacher at school, your headmaster, your professor, your work boss, they might be a pain in the backside. They might really put you under pressure. Read your Bible. Your Bible says, rejoice when you're being persecuted. Suck it up. Take it in, but honor the person. But Lord, he done nothing to honor, to cause me to honor him. It doesn't matter. I told you to honor him. Obedience first, explanation second. Well, Lord, I need to know first. Well, guess what? That's not the principle. Honor first. Oh, you look in the Bible, man, honor will kill you. Lack of honor will kill you so fast. It's unbelievable. He says, my honor and my splendor were returned to me for the glory of, of my kingdom. My advisors and my nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Wow. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven. Yeah, because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Speaking of himself. Seven years of craziness. That's seven years in the wilderness. Ladies, he didn't have no pedicure. He didn't go to it. His nails were long. Read the scriptures. Tells you it was like a wild beast. 
But his honour and splendour return to him. Once you, once you see what you should be honouring, thank God you can always see it. You need a consciousness, a God consciousness of what you should be honouring. That will save you. God opened this, this path to me a long time ago. I thank God it has saved my life. It really has saved my life. Now, thirteen seven says, give everyone what you owe him. Now, do I owe you any money, Chris? Not that I'm aware of. That's good for me. Right? I always borrow money from a pessimist because he never expects it back. Do I owe you any taxes, Chris? I don't owe him any taxes. Do I not? No. Do I owe you any respect? Yes, I do. I respect you, Christian brother. Right? That's our first place. That's where we start. That's where we learn to dance. Okay? If it's honor, give him what you owe him. So I don't owe him money. I don't owe him tax. But I do give him some respect. Why? Because I believe he's earned it. Right? But I must give him honor. Why? He honors, he honors the same God I honor. He respects the same God I respect. He honors the, the sanctity of marriage. I have every reason not to dishonor him. True? My Bible says, if I owe it him, I must give it him. And I owe him honor. In the same way, he, he owes me honor. Right? Because we stand for the same things. True? So if I owe it him, I must give it him. So who do you owe honor to is the next question. Who do you owe respect to? Then you need to work them out. And that's why you need to say, God, open my eyes and show me who must I respect and whom I should honor. Show me how to honor them, Lord. Not, what, not just who to honor, but how to honor them. You see, in our conference, when we go to Malaysia, there's one young Norwegian guy called Andreas. And Andreas is a typical German, very tall, and very, you know that, you know, today we will raise our hands, you know, real deep German. Now, every time Jonathan David walks in the building, Andreas' way of showing honor to Jonathan David is to carry his bag from the car to the front. It's not a massive job. It's not a massive job. Anyone can carry a bag, can they not? True? But that's his first, foremost job. He wants to carry a bag for Jonathan David. Can Jonathan David carry his own bags? Of course he can. But he wants to do that. That's his way of showing honor. Now, for me, I don't get and carry his bag. I let Phil carry mine. <laughs> that's his way. That's my way of letting him honor me. <laughs> but no, I don't, I don't, Phil and I don't jump out the aisles to, to go and take his role. Because that's his way of doing it. We honor Jonathan David by taking what he says and doing what he teaches. That's my way of honoring him. I don't write him a letter and say, hey, Papa, I did what you did last week. He'd say, well, what do you expect? You paid the price. You got on the plane. You came. I expect you to do something with what I taught. So if you want to honor the ministry in this house, do what Christ is teaching you. I don't expect you to carry me back, me bag. In some circles, they carry it the other way. You know what I mean by that? They'll take it from you. You'll never see it again. I don't need you to carry me back. I've got arms. 
I can carry my own bag. But if you felt that was your way, I'm not going to fight you. But you must find a way of doing, with, with doing, I should say, you must find a way of working out what God is working in. What God is working in you must be worked outside of you and through you. That's how you show honor. You show honor for the spirit. You show honor for Christ. You show honor for his word. You show honor to the men who labor for you. Because doing something with what you are taught is what you're supposed to be doing. If you become hearers only, shame on you. So the third principle is of giving people what is owed to them. This treasure... You must recognize the treasure that's in other people and give them what is. This principle is what distinguishes us from being fake believers to genuine believers. If I can't love, honor, and respect Chris, and I stand up here and I'm talking about the love of God, what does that make me? A hypocrite. True? I must, be, I must learn to value the treasure. Now, he would be the first to tell you, just like I would be the first to tell you, that there is a lot of dust in his life and my life. And the treasure needs separating from the dust and from the rocks and from the stuff that's in the field. But the treasure is there nevertheless. So we work on what we know is there rather than what we don't see. Because what we don't see causes us to disrespect and not like people. But what's in there is what we should give honor to and respect to. Amen? We don't only give it because they deserve it. We, do, we give it because we see it. This is why we must recognize the grace on each other's life. If we don't see grace working in, other, in each other's life, all we'll ever do is judge the person. You don't know their struggles. It's what you don't know is causing you more problem. It's not what you do know, it's what you don't know. You don't know how they struggled. You don't know the, ch- the sacrifices they've made to stay in the game. You don't know. But you see them. You seem a bit bro- uh, harsh and a bit brash. And you think, look at that person there. Blah, 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 blah. Write them off. Oh, we're so easy at writing people off. But see the grace inside them. See, the, in Walter, there was a grace. Walter carried a grace. Always carried positive spirit within him. He, he always had the... the the tenacity to go again. Whatever came, he kept, he kept getting up and going. How can you not honor him? How can you not respect him? Because he was, his character, he lived what he, what he was taught. He says to me, he said, you are my teacher. So he said to me, he said, you are my teacher. And I do what you tell me. That puts a lot of responsibility on me. But you know what? He was right. Because this is the house he feeds from. This is the table he feeds from. And then he'd go back and he'd try and find a way how to do it. I told him this week in the home. I told him. Told him. And that was it. He plays mouth organ, plays spoons or whatever it was. He'd use every means available to do what he was taught. That was Walter's way. So you give what he's owed. This principle distinguishes us from from being a fake believer, from being authentic and genuine. God needs believers who truly perceive what, what honour really is. We really do need to understand honour afresh. Psalm 62, verse 6 says, He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honour depend on God. 
He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times. O people, pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Without God, why would I choose to honor people? Why would I ever want to choose to honor people? It's the God within me, the treasure in me that sees, that that recognizes the treasure in others. The fourth principle, the power of representation. This is so important. If if we're going to honor people, we recognize who's representing God. How we are to honor and who we are to honor must be understood in the context of the principle of representation. Let me say that again. The power of representation, how we honor and who we honor must be understood in the context of the principle of representation. Let me give you some ideas. In Haggai chapter 1 verse 8, he says, Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored. So what you're honor, what, sorry, what you're building is because you are representing someone. Does that make sense? We are saints, are we not? Are we all believers? Right. Do we not partner with Jesus Christ? Do we not partner with God and the Holy Spirit? Right, we do. So when we are, when we are on, this, on this earth working, who are we representing? Right. We are representing someone. This morning we are representing, you're not members of Tony Higginson. Hello? You're not members of the Dream Center. You know why? For years and years and years, churches always use the word membership. So that one of the things I did was get rid of the word membership because no one's a member. Someone can be a member who doesn't even come to the church. We know in a lot of churches around, around uh, Britain, a lot of people are on the, the membership list. They don't even come to the church. Yeah? And then all of a sudden they turn up at an AGM like they own the church. So the first thing we did, did was remove membership. We only have partnership. Partnership is what brings us in the same family. Amen? Partnership is what the Bible talks about. I partnered you in the grace. I partnered you and labored with you. You read your Bible. Partnership, not membership. We are members of one body, one body. But we are partners in this ministry, in this grace. Amen? So we must understand, we're not playing with semantics here. We're deliberately separating the two. Now, when we represent, when we build here this morning, when we build in the spirit, we are not representing the dream center. We are representing Christ. We minister in his name to the saints. We don't minister in the name of the dream center. We don't minister in the name of Tony Higginson. You are not my fan club. I know you know that, but in case you didn't, I'm letting you know. I don't need fans. I've got a wife. I've got all, Papa's got all the love he needs. The thing is, you are members of his body. Jesus Christ, of which we are all heirs. Amen? So we represent him. So he says, when you build it, here's the, here's the issue. When you honor what he honors, he takes pleasure in it. He takes pleasure in what you honor. If it's the same as what he honors, he takes pleasure in it. Amen? 
let me use a scripture that you're all familiar with then. Because I can see you're all looking at me cross-eyed here. 2 Corinthians 5.20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So an ambassador is somebody who represents somebody else. The literal meaning is, it's an accredited diplomat. No, we're not diplomat. A diplomat is someone who lies on behalf of his nation. Yeah? We, it's, it, the dictionary says, an accredited diplomat sent by a state as its permanent representative in a foreign country. Or a representative or a promoter of a specified activity. Is that better? God has given us the ability to represent him. Now, if David goes to work tomorrow, or he goes into a shop, and he starts talking to somebody about the gospel, who do you think has the power to save? You're not sure? Dear me. Well, why are you all looking a bit, oh, I'm not quite sure. If David's speaking, who has the power to save? David has the power to speak, but God has the power to save. Oh, no, no, now you're all saying, yeah, yeah. David is the vessel. David is the ambassador. David is the one representing a king. True? So when the woman or whoever it is who speaks to David, she sees through David and she connects with the God inside of David. All David was, was the representative. He was the vessel. True? All he did was open his mouth and share the treasure in his heart. The person at the other end, on the other end connected with the treasure, saw the treasure, their eyes were opened. It's not like they did, after a while they didn't even see David. They saw the treasure in David. David was the ambassador. He was the representative of the kingdom. Amen? Every time we recognize, listen to this, every time we recognize this principle of honor, this is what happens. Are you ready for this? Every time we recognize or move towards or upholding the principle in this house, God not only takes pleasure in our obedience, but himself is honored by our actions. Yeah? Principle five. Ready for this? Whatever I personally value, honor, action, and move towards, listen, whatever I personally honor, value, and I action it, it moves towards me. Whatever I dishonor, move away from, moves away from me. What do you mean, Tony? Right. Let's set the context of marriage. Carol stood before me. I say, honey, I love you. I'm so in love with you, sweetheart. My words were first. Now, my action is to hold her, to embrace her. What does she want to do? The words cause her to move towards me. You got this? So what I honor with my mouth and uphold and move towards, moves towards me. When I say to Carol, you rat bag, you never do this, you never do that. Da 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 Come here, Dan, let me give you a kiss. What's she going to do? 
She's going to slap me and move away from me. Why? Thus proving the principle of what you don't honor moves away from you. What does the Bible say? They honor me with their lips, but in their hearts they are far away from me. Why? Because they can't honor him, so they can't move towards him. And he can't move towards them. And because their hearts are hard and their conscience is is switched off, God can never move towards his own people because they don't uphold the principle of honor. And that's why worship should produce praise, glory and honor. He said, they honor me with their mouths, but in their hearts. So there was no glory and honor. They only had praise. So what they were, what he's saying is that their honor was not genuine and authentic. It was a lie. And how many of us, if we're honest, have worshipped God in the same vein? Of course we have. And thank you for your honesty. Not one hand up. How many times we don't feel good, didn't have a good week? Well, God, I'm not praising you today. So then you sing the songs, so you're on him with your mouth. But your hearts. And then all of a sudden, we start laboring in the spirit, giving you the word, sowing the word. And all of a sudden, slowly but surely, with two minutes to go, you finally give in. Well, whoopee. Two minutes to go, you finally gave in. And you feel, well, I just give in at the end. Shame on you. Because you missed what you could have had. You didn't spend the time moving towards him and he didn't move towards you. And then you come at the end of the service and say, this is what happens. Because I know you're all good charismatics. Oh, pastor. <laughs> you stand there. <laughs> I didn't come out before. Rebellious. I uh, just wonder if you'd pray for me. No. Why? Because you didn't respond at the moment you should have. And now they judge me. Because I said no. In their ha- they could not honor God and move towards him when he asked them to. But now they've got a conscience at the end of the meeting. They want you now to come and pray for them. People, you need to understand, when it's time to honor, you honor. Coming at the end of the service asking me to pray did not tell me that you still honored the one. You wanted me to pray for you so you could feel, so I could appeal to your conscience. Let's call it what it is. It's called flesh. It's called immaturity and stupidity. But I guess we'd have to be mature to see it the other way. We can't do it. When the altar's closed, the altar's closed. Because there's a time for obedience. There's a time for obedience. And we don't understand this because we don't get the principle of honor in the house. If God gives me a word and I have to keep laboring for six months, right? Six months is a long time, is it not? Now let's just say, for instance, God wanted us on that page within two weeks. How many of you know we're five and a half months out of behind schedule? Now, I know there's grace sometimes for those kind of things. But we can't be messing around when we should be honoring and obeying. Would you agree with that? So, we must learn to move towards what we honor. And we do it with our words, with our actions and behavior. Amen? That's why yesterday when I was praying... Yeah, I was praying on a Saturday afternoon. Because there's no day in the spirit when you can't pray. The Bible says, in all occasions, pray in the spirit. Saturday was an occasion. 
So I'm praying. I said, Lord, what do you want to do? And I just felt the Lord God say to me, I want you to actively get both sides of the church to engage, to go and inquire about somebody they don't know. Ask them whether they've got a partner who's in the church or not. What is their name? What do they do? And I just, I didn't have to say, well, Lord, what does all that mean? He said, shut up, just do it. Okay. And you know, in my spirit, I just felt, great, great, game over. So I wrote a few notes down. Do it. All I'm waiting for, Lord, is the right time. I feel, hey, conscience clear. I've done what I need to do. You say, well, we do that. We do that quite often. Good. This time, I did it under obedience. So Exodus chapter 4, verse 12 says this. Now go, and I will help you speak, and I and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, oh, Lord, 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 send Chris, send David, and please send someone else to do it. And the Lord's anger burst against Tony and against the Dream Center. And he said, what about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you. And in his heart... What he's saying is, Aaron carried honor for Moses. In his heart, he will be glad when he sees you. Was you glad when you saw some people this morning? I was sad that I didn't see Walter. Because my heart wants to see him. But you know, familiarity diminishes honor. Oh, such and such. Your body wasn't here at church this morning. I wonder where they are. Well, you know, they've not been for the last six months. Oh, really? I haven't noticed. Wake up, church. Wake up. Well, you know that person? You know that person, pastor? That person who comes with the little kids? Does that person have a name? Yeah, but I don't know the name. Well, why? How long have they been coming to church? Oh, they've been coming a couple of months now. So for a couple of months they've been coming. For a couple of months you still don't know their name. We haven't got a church of 10,000. Look around you. There's a lot of empty spaces. Oh, I know. You won't get this. For, you, listen, you're getting this for free. We can't live like that and say we're honorable people. We can't. It's wrong. Oh, that person, she's been sick for a couple of months now, yeah? I wonder how she is. Have you prayed for her? Uh, no. Because I can't remember her name. Really. How sad. Come on, listen to yourself. Listen, these are the excuses we make. Why? Because we can't get off our blessed assurance to go and find out. Come on, let the Holy Ghost, let the love of God stir your heart for one another. Let the love of God stir your heart for one another. That's why, look, look, at, look at each other. There's people missing here this morning. Now, some of them are in the other rooms. Some of them are not. But we don't know where some of them are. Well, we should know. Well, pastor, you're responsible for that. Read your Bible. Well, I'm reading, I'm reading Ephesians 4. It's his job to take care of the flock. Well, I'm taking care of the flock. But your interpretation of how care has taken place has put me in one hole. Are we not all members of the same body? Of one body? Are we not a partner? See, you might be a member, but you're a partner. You can't play games. So then he says, he'll be glad when he sees you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. Now notice, we're all good at putting words in each other's mouth. True? 
But are the words we put in each other's mouth honour, respect, or are they negatives? He'll be glad when he sees you. He'll speak to you and put his words in his mouth. And I will help the both of you to speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you. That's representation. And it will be as if he were your mouth. Wow. This representation's powerful. Yeah? And if you were God to him, can you imagine? So when David's speaking to that person, and David says, you know, Lord, I don't want to open my mouth. And he just feels the unction of the Holy Spirit. Open your mouth. Lord, I don't want to do it. David, when you heard David, you know it's not negotiable no more. Hey, just do it. The other week, to my shame, to my shame, I'm walking down the road, and this woman, I can hear her out of breath. And I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, go and pray for her. Oh, I'm not here. Not now. I'm having me dinner. Prayer, pasty. Prayer, pasty. Pasty one. And then I saw her the other week and I thought, should I go and pray? And God said, no, you missed your moment. So I have to repent. Now, David tomorrow goes and speaks to this person. He, hears the, he feels the unction of the Holy Ghost. David, do it. No, no, Lord, no, no, no. No, no, no. But what David doesn't know is what can take place just by him doing that. What doors that could open up whole family could get saved. Just because you feel the unction of the Holy Spirit, you don't obey and you don't listen. You can miss so much. But by doing it, he honoured God. And what he did resulted in praise and glory to God. She didn't get saved, but obedience, his obedience resulted in praise and glory. God says, I found a man who loves me. I found a a man who will listen to me. Obedience results in praise, glory, and honor. Your obedience. So he says to Moses, go and do it. And if you do it, I'm going to release a whole nation just by you speaking to one man. And when you speak, the representation is going to be so powerful, Pharaoh is going to, is going to hear your voice, but he's going to, it's as if it's me. He's going to see me. You don't know the power of your voice. Galatians 6 says this, one, and this we're finishing. Brothers, if someone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. Watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Now notice here, when someone, if you respect and honor someone, and you're in love for someone, and they sin, and they fall out of love with God, the spiritual man should go and restore him. Not just the gossiper, not just the interested, and not just the friend. The requirement is a spiritual man. And just because you come to church doesn't make you spiritual. The spiritual person goes and restores him. Why? They restore him out of love and honor for the person. Amen? Ask yourself, church, the lesson of the soil. If you are God's field, then ask yourself where there is visible, plowable marks seen across your life. If God plows, if you're the field and God plows, 
Is the marks, is there a hallmark in your life that says, I'm being plowed? Do you understand that? In other words, if God is working on my life, there must be marks upon my spiritual life that shows me that God is working on my life. Right now, I'm going through a personal thing with God where he's plowing an area of my life and I have to let him come in because I know he's been speaking to me about it for a while and I'm giving him room to come in and deal with me in that area. Okay? It doesn't make me sound spiritual because I've been slow to get into that place. But nevertheless, he's here now and he's been doing it with me for a couple of weeks. So the process is on the way. Amen? So there's a visible mark now of God's plow in my heart. Does that make sense? So is there a visible plow seen in your life? Because it's not enough for you to be God's field. You're God's field, you're God's treasure, and you're God's work. And God, if you're God's work, then the God must be at work within you. If you are God's work, then God must be at work within you. Does that make sense? So church, I know as we prayed this morning and we felt, the, we felt the intensity of the heat this morning as we prayed. Phil gave us a scripture that says, plow our unplowed ground. Break up the fallow ground. Was it from Hosea? Hosea verse 10, verse, uh, sorry, chapter 10, verse 12. Break up the unplowed ground. I know that God has to break up some ground in this house in order for honor, praise and glory. To rise. I'm not going to let this go. I will not let this go. Because there must be honour built into this house. So that it will result in praise, glory and honour. Honour can create honour. And we start this way. We start that way. We have to look this way. Because the scripture is very clear about honour those who teach you. You honour your mother and father. Why? Because... Finish the verse off, because if you do, it will go well with you. And it'll be good, and you'll have good long days. So, there's a good indication there that just God, how God views honor. That if you don't honor your mother and father, then that's the first place where honor starts, is in the home. Honor the Lord your God with all that you have. Love the Lord God. Honor the Lord God with all that you have, with all your heart, mind, and soul. Why? Because honor is a very, very powerful principle. Let's stand to our feet. Just raise our hands if you will. We said that honour must, the treasure must reveal someone and something. Ask the Lord right now to reveal, to work in your life and say, Lord, I want my treasure to reveal you. Go on, just start speaking to him now. Ask the Lord to, to, to work in your field. Lord, I want my treasure to, to, to work and, and, to, and to reveal Christ. Oh, God, I want you. Oh, my God. It said that the treasure needs to be proven genuine. Oh, Father, I want it to be genuine, oh, God. I want my honor to be genuine, sincere, full of love. God, I don't want it to be superficial. I want to do it through a heart of love. We said the principle of giving to people what is owed to them. Lord, open my eyes to give people what is owed to them. Lord, it doesn't matter if I feel it or not. It's what's owed to them.
Open my eyes to see the grace. Open my eyes to recognize the grace and the love of God upon each other's life. Oh, Father. We said about the principle of representation. How we honor and how we understand is, is important because it moves towards us and move away from us. In your heart this morning, move towards God. Move towards him this morning. Move towards him. Say, Lord, I'm going to represent you. I'm going to represent your kingdom. Oh, God. I move towards you. I, do, I, will not, I refuse to become one of those Christians that honor you with their lips, but in their hearts, they're far away. I will honor you with my spirit, soul, and body. Oh, mighty God. We said that whatever we move, what we honor moves closer to us. And what we dishonor moves away. Remember that, church. Remember that. We said that the lesson of the soil is that if, your God's, if God's plow is in your field, there should be visible marks. Paul says, I carry daily the marks of Christ on my body. Paul vi- visibly could, could help us see that Christ was at work in his life. He was beaten. He was shipwrecked. It, it was all those kind of things for the gospel. There was clear evidential marks that Christ was plowing his way through into Paul's life. Oh, mighty God. And every field... If it's ploughed right, if it's watered, if it's burnt at the right time, if it's good, good seeds are sown into it, will produce a fruit. Every, every field will produce a fruit if it's worked upon. And the environment's right. So Lord, I pray, oh God, as I'm in the vine with you. Your word says that if I remain in the vine as you are in the vine, then Father, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, you will cut it off. Oh, Father, whether it's an olive grove, whether it's, it's wine, whether, whether it's other kinds of fruit or vegetables, it doesn't matter. The field and the treasure is more important. We understand, oh God, that we need to remain in you. Because this is so important to our lives. Oh, Father, we ask you this morning, oh God, to work on the field so that the treasure can represent the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Father, this morning, though we are sad at the loss of our brother, heaven has gained. And Lord, we thank you for his life. We thank you for Walter's life. Oh God, what a privilege to have known a man like Walter. Thank you, oh God, that he was a, he, he was a man with honor. He was a man with, whose life emanated praise, glory, and honor for his Savior. Father, comfort the family right now. Let your presence fall amongst them, Lord, and let this funeral open up the door to the family that he's witnessed to so many times.